when I entered the dance studio at Ohio State for the first time, one of the first times I was alone in the huge studio, I heard a voice whisper in my ear. And it was my Japanese grandmother. And she said something to me, which in Japanese, gambatte, which means never give up. Welcome to the Intuitive Woman Podcast with your host, Tina Conroy. Gain clarity, confidence, and trust in your inner wisdom. Explore spiritual topics, including intuition, healing, wellness, yoga, vibrant living, and more. Hello, my friends. Tina here. Thank you so much for tuning in for another episode of the Intuitive Women Podcast and the series Trouble to Triumph. Boy, has this been fun. I hope that you have been listening to all the amazing, amazing ladies that I've had on the Trouble to Triumph series. If you have missed any of them, please feel free to go back and look in the library and check them out. Today, I have Barbara Calvano. Now, Barbara Calvano and I, as I say on the podcast, have known each other kind of through virtual internet for quite some time, but we finally have connected and I'm so happy that we did. And I'm so happy that she joined me on the podcast. Barbara is a angel intuitive and a life coach. She's also the host of the blog talk radio show, Let's Ask the Angels. And that that's always on Saturdays at 4 p.m. Eastern and 1 p.m. Pacific. There are, it's a one-hour show, and she shares angel guidance, healing, healing messages, and she takes listener calls live and personal readings. I just love talking with Barbara. Barbara is committed to living an empowered life and helping others live an empowered life, committed to sharing information to support you with your dreams and all areas of your life. Now, Barbara really gets pretty vulnerable and honest about her trouble and how she overcame alcohol and how it was really a trouble in her marriage. Uh, She was really uh, finding right away in the first year of marriage how difficult it was, Um, her upbringing, the cultures, and how it really was pulling her away from having a committed committed marriage and a committed relationship. And so after a year into the marriage, she knew that there was some things to be done and she is now alcohol-free and living her life and really helping others pay it forward. So I'm going to leave all the information for Barbara in the show notes. Reach out to her. She's amazing. Check out her blog talk radio show, as well as angel readings and any coaching that you may desire. Sit back and enjoy the show. Thank you so much. Hi, Barbara. Welcome to the Intuitive Women Podcast. Hi, Tina. Thank you so much for having me here today. I am so glad to have you. We have been traveling in each other's sort of waves, in the internet waves, and I'm so glad to actually have you on as a guest and see you and speak to you today. Thank you. It's really, really great to be here. I am really excited to bring to the listeners your story, and I appreciate that you're coming on for the series of Trouble to Triumph. I know that our stories are difficult and getting vulnerable and talking about them can be so challenging, but also to have the hope and the faith on the other side and all the amazing people that you help now. So thank you so much for being here today. Oh, you're so welcome. It's a real privilege to be here. So 
give the listeners a little background to what your trouble was, however you want to begin. You can go back a little bit to childhood or however it came to be. Okay, great. So today I'm going to talk about recovery, recovery of uh, alcoholism. And I have 27 years of sobriety. And I mostly did it through the program called AA, Alcoholics Anonymous. It was not something I expected to um, be, have as a young woman. But how I could say it started, you know, it really wasn't that I was drinking every day. Alcohol was uh, not really in our household, though, as I learned later, my father did portray alcoholic behavior, which includes having bursts of rage and, um, yeah, (laughs) bursts of rage. So I was very blessed that when I had some problems right after I got married at the age of 35, I finally had found the most wonderful man, gentle, kind, he had a real job and everything, but certain emotions started coming up and I started drinking more. And what does that mean? I would visit my in-laws Mind you, I'd been single up to age 35. I had had a lot of relationships, but not one where I knew that this was it. You know, this was it, committed, monogamous relationship. And when I would visit my in-laws, I would get really, really nervous. And if there was alcohol being presented, I would partake. I would double partake. Please, no ice, no water. <laughs> you know, give it to me straight. And then I could feel like I could relax and be with my in-laws. Now, mind you, my background is Japanese wasp, and I married into Italian-American. So I went from quiet, you know, quiet scenarios where people hardly spoke to really noisy and talkative and, and huge energy, and it totally overwhelmed me. Absolutely. I mean, when you talk about those two different cultures, I always think of, you know, it's like more quiet and serene and Zen-like, right? And then it's like, I'm Italian, so it's loud and who can get the next word in and let's scream louder. And and you have a very interesting background. I know recently, or I should say your parents are going to be celebrating a very huge milestone, mm-hmm. right, married. So uh, congratulations to them and, and yeah. all that they've come through as well. Yeah. So even though, yes, they, there was a lot of uh, fighting going on in my, with my parents as I grew up. My father was in the military, and my mother's Japanese, and then I grew up on Air Force bases, and we would move every two years. And I just got into this mindset of always trying to be perfect in a way, because I would go to a new school, and I wasn't sure what they had learned, so I would have to work 100 times harder than the next person. And I really learned this mode of, you know, this M.O., way of being to be hyper vigilant, perfect. In a lot of cases, I did really, really well, but I was totally hyper vigilant about what I needed to learn, what I needed to say in order to survive. And so I went to 13 schools before I graduated from high school. Wow. That's a lot of schools. I don't even know. It's like, you know, go to your high school reunion. I'm going like, which one, you know? (laughs) So, So... That alone, and my mother having left her country in 1955 after she had her first child, which was me, she was very depressed in the United States. She had no friends. She spoke hardly any English. And as I was growing up, I had to teach her English. So here I am, this baby, you know. And then as she had each child, she had four children by the age of 28. 
that I was the babysitter. I was the cook. And in the culture, in certain cultures, that's um, the oldest child or daughter is the uh, maid. So I, it's not as if I, you know, you do what you do as a child, you know, and you don't really um, think more than you don't even know you're surviving. You're just doing what you have to do. So it sounds like you had a lot of responsibility, but you also put a lot of pressure on yourself. You know, that perfectionism. I always say I'm still recovering from that. I'll be in recovery of perfectionism in itself because I was the oldest daughter. I was the oldest child. And so it was always about keeping everything calm and no waves and seen and not heard kind of thing. And if anybody was having any trouble, I was like, it's okay, it's okay. And I took a lot, you know, growing up. And it's like you said, you don't, know what you're doing you just are following what you are and so how did this move move you know like I wasn't drinking in high school other kids are partying I'm doing like um, gymnastics dance classes after school and kind of not realizing that I was avoiding trying to be at home I could tell that and I also was very very introverted so if people were doing um theater practice, rehearsals, I would be in the art room. I made a lot of art. I'm a really great artist. That was my thing to do is just to make art, express myself in my painting and my sculpture. So I bring that up only because, you know, we think that that's who we are. You know, that's who I am. I didn't speak in college. We talked about earlier that we both had a mutual love of dance, modern dance. I had a scholarship at Ohio State as a dancer. I don't think I spoke once. And they kind of treated me like the sensitive one. And I didn't quite understand that other than we had journals we had to keep in a movement class. And my journals were really, really detailed oriented. And I could say, and I feel the energy moving down the left side and the inner thigh and this and that. And I just was, I thought everybody was sensing all this stuff in their body. And I was like really, really detail minded, right? But I did really well in college. And then by the third year, having been a perfectionist and like overloading myself with being in as many productions as I could be, choreographing my butt off and, you know, just doing everything to the triple A personality and not drinking really, except on the weekends. So it's, you don't see the alcoholism. You see the, the behavior of perfectionism, which is one of the telltale signs of addiction because it is an addiction to something that's not yourself something outside of yourself. I was monitoring my calories like crazy because thinner was better. You know, your professors would go up to your legs and say, you know, you could be thinner there in your thighs. And so you just didn't eat. Yeah, it's and, a horrible, it's a horrible yeah. culture. I mean, I danced too in college. We were speaking offline and it's a very difficult culture because it's this ideal and judgment and you're never thin enough and they want to see your ribs and your bones. And you see, I remember if I couldn't see my collarbones, I was fat, you know, it's oh, like, yeah. oh yeah bulging out really dysmorphia kind of totally uh, feeling totally yeah. and um so i need to mention this because i had heard another very famous uh, actress uh, talk about it on npr that she had had a uh, nervous breakdown at juilliard at audra mcdonald and that was in her third year of juilliard and the perfectionism of trying to be perfect and she was almost slit her wrists mm-hmm. And that's when it really connected to me that I, in my third year of college, I had like a nervous breakdown. I called it, I just called it that I needed a break. You know, we were doing our schedule books for the next senior year. 
calendar, booking all of our rehearsal dates in September. And before you know it, I just, I just got really depressed. I said, I can't do this. I can't do this anymore. I had danced through the summers on scholarships. So I, I wasn't taking any breaks. And my spirit said, no, I just can't do this. I go home to Dayton, Ohio, and I sit in my bedroom and I start drinking Southern Comfort. Because Janice mm. Joplin drank something comfort. No, this is a cool thing to drink. You know, it wasn't like something I liked. It's just that Janice Joplin is a great artist and she drinks Southern Comfort. So I would buy this and just sit there and drink it. I just didn't know what I was doing, facing, didn't have the I thought to seek a counselor. I had been rehearsing for two years for the uh, senior concert program. I had been, what do you call it? I can't even think of the word. You know, you're following, you're, you're second, and then you finally get to be the primary roles. And I had all this responsibility, Tina, and it hit the fan. I couldn't deal with it. I couldn't deal with my perfectionism. I had to do the ballet piece. I had to do the modern piece. Mm. I was gifted these pieces because I had rehearsed and, and been with the company for so long. And I ended up not doing it. I ended up, I didn't, I couldn't do it. But I had made so many credits that I graduated easily. So it wasn't like I was going to flunk out of college. But that left me with a weird experience of something I loved so much. The inability to show up, the inability to face criticism, honest criticism. It's one thing to teacher to tell you, lift your leg a little higher. It's another thing to have honest, honest conversations with people, which I didn't have. My emotional growth was not there. Even though my cue, my grade point, you know, how high I jumped and all that was there. So I come to New York in 1977. I had to get away from Ohio. So that's another thing alcoholics do is just let me just get away. Maybe like run away. Better. You know, they call it geographics. So I go there and I come to New York and lo and behold, I'd never been here before. Hadn't, didn't know what to expect. I came here with $100, really no place to live and no job. But my spirit called me. And that's one of the things I talk about today. I listened to the messages to save my life, right? So now, Barbara, prior to that, prior to you coming, did you did you have a were you, did you have a spiritual connection? Were you a spiritual person? Did you listen to that inner voice or did it get stronger and stronger? So all my life I had a connection. It's like we were raised with no particular religion. So on Sundays when you all were going to church, I was like looking through the window thinking, gosh, I wish I had someplace to go Sunday morning. And little did I know how much more like my husband dreaded it, you know, having to get up and they were not allowed to eat or drink or something like that. And they had to go to church. I'm like, oh my gosh, that sounds horrible. <laughs> but so I was brought up Shinto and Baptist. So I was already reading about philosophy and religion as a young kid. And I had been in temples in Japan. So I had experience of, uh, experiences of profound quiet and silence. I never talked about, but I knew I was putting all that into my artwork. So it was mostly I read voraciously. I just studied on my own, but I never um, participated in anything organized. I wasn't into Wicca or anything else. I just always had a sense that there was something pulling me along because there were things that were happening to me that I just, I had a dog in New Jersey in 1963. He was the most loving little pet I ever, ever had, the first pet. And then we had to get transferred to Japan and I had to leave my dog in the United States. 
And that was sad, but he was going to stay with my cousin on a farm in Ohio. In less than a month after we had moved to Japan, I got a letter that my dog had run away. Mm -hmm. I think I cried for 20 years, Mm -hmm. 20 years about that dog. And I have completed that now and I feel his presence now. But there were sadnesses that, you know, when you have a sense that there's something bigger. I always had a sense that there was something bigger. One of the things that happened to me when I was 12, my father was not an officer, so he didn't make a lot of money. So money was always there, but not extra. And I was in Tokyo in 1966, and the Beatles were coming. And I just remember saying to my mom, wow, I would love to see the Beatles. Mm -hmm. Within two weeks, my mom had tickets for me to see the Beatles. Wow. Wow. Manifest this. She doesn't (laughs) even know who the Beatles are, right? And seventh row back on George Harrison's side, three other classmates, my sixth grade class, and we're watching the Beatles in the Budokan in Tokyo. Wow. First concert. And what that did for me was like, there was, I believed in magic. The thrill of seeing the Beatles, the thrill of having my wish fulfilled very elegantly and quickly. And when I made art, there was something about making art that I could visualize something and make it. I could just literally make it. I could copy anything. I could draw anything. There was magic in that. That's how I found my connection. And then um, when I entered the dance studio at Ohio State for the first time, one of the first times I was alone in the huge studio, I heard a voice whisper in my ear. And it was my Japanese grandmother. Mm. And she said something to me, which in Japanese, gambatte, which means never give up. Oh, beautiful. So, you know, I didn't have a lot of, you know, things that happened I didn't see blue images <laughs> right right apparitions or anything right just moments of profound deep quiet personal connection that I knew I was somebody and I had teachers Tina I had teachers to me that were angels mm-hmm. that would quietly look at me and say you are gifted you, know, you are how never let go of your imagination is your most important thing that you have and particular teachers totally, I'm going to say rescued me from depression. Yeah, mostly depression that I didn't even know I was having because I was so quick, you know, I was so busy trying to be perfect, the perfect student. Right. And the perfect hairdo. I mean, it's just quickly, this is a personality trait of perfectionism and also, which could be an alcoholic. In high school, I made a three-month chart a 90-day chart of outfits so I would not repeat an outfit in 90 days in a calendar. I also changed my hair do every day. Wow. It was like, yeah. And, you know, to do your hair before you went to school at like 7 o'clock, you'd have to get up at 5 o'clock. So I had the orange juice cans. I had the things to make take my bangs down. This is in the early 70s, late 60s, early 70s. So I had this whole thing about looking good up the kazoo, you know. know, So so when I got married and I got super depressed and the depression manifested, Tina, as I would visit my in-laws in Carl Place, New York, (laughs) and I would get drunk and I would have fights with my husband. And I said, something's not right here. I just feel like I'm on the way of destroying this new marriage. So I looked out the window one day of my apartment here and I said, I feel like I have nothing to live for. Wow. 
And I don't think this is a natural thought. I was able to at least tell myself this is not a natural thought. And then just briefly back um, when I was 28, I had the opportunity to take a course in New York that really opened my eyes to being coachable. And that alone had me realize that I was not alone and that listening and allowing oneself to be coached could create possibilities. My life didn't change overnight when I took this course at 28 because I still was drinking and hanging out with the wrong men, but still working jobs and taking my dance classes. I just didn't realize my life was, as they say in AA, unmanageable. I was just continuing the uh, frenzy of perfectionism from childhood. Right. So at 35, I, um, I actually considered suicide. I thought, I think my life is over. I have been the thinnest. I have jumped the highest. I've had great, I mean, you know, I've had men come to my door, dressing room door, flowers after performances. I've done everything. And I knew that was a wrong statement about my life. So, so at that, I mean, at that point, how long as you were going, you're, you're married now and you're going to your in-laws, how many years or how long was it until you listened to that voice or knew that this was an issue for you or this was a problem for you? Yeah, it was fast. One year. One year. Wow. Wow. And that's why today I can see a lot of uh, marriages. The first year of marriage is the hardest <laughs> and the first five are the hardest, but the first year... Oh my goodness. And if there's alcohol or any addictive behavior involved, it's going to bring up all the emotions and all the hidden um, barriers of wanting to be truly honest and intimate with somebody. So within a year, so yeah, that's why I got married in 1989 and I'm sober in 1990. So it's it's key together that the success of my marriage, my health today, totally to the fact that I went to a therapist. She listened to me and directed me to AA and I'm thinking, what, what do you mean? I don't drink every day. Right. Cause that's our, that's our thing. You know, I even, I think that's such a, everyone has a different way of what they think alcoholism is. You know, my thought too, I mean, I know that not to be true now, but I think it was that drinking from the morning you get up the, you know, the James Jameson or the Mm -hmm. liquor or the, whatever your liquor of choice is all day and all night, you know, kind of like that movie. I always remember that movie with Nicolas Cage when he was in Vegas and it's like constantly. And Mm -hmm. that's what majority of people think. So if you're not doing that, you're okay. You know, you're a social drinker and it's all right, but that's not the case. Sometimes it's not at all. Well, what they describe the different uh, levels are low bottoms, high bottoms. So a high bottom is that you could still have your home, your house, you could still have your figure, you know, whatever, and your health pretty much, but you basically hit a spiritual bottom. Who knew that alcoholism, perfectionism was a spiritual bottom, a spiritual depletion, an emptiness of connection. I didn't know. I just thought God made alcohol to help some some of us who are super sensitive feel better. It's like this wonderful little thing that just made me feel a little better. So I didn't understand it. I didn't. I trusted my therapist, and I had only seen her for like a, a month or two. This is not like I've never done long term therapy, and I put that towards having done landmark these courses and training, but also of the AA meetings. I didn't need anything else. But in the beginning, I didn't think I belonged there. But what I learned was that the similarity with me and someone else who drank from 
nine o'clock in the morning to you know nine o'clock at night or whatever was that we were seeking peace we were mm. seeking peace and all throughout my life and trying to be the perfect body type as a dancer the perfect artist perfect presentation was seeking peace within myself interesting that's a very interesting and I had a spiritual awakening in one of the meetings. I actually was sitting there. I opened something called the big book. And it was my turn to read as we passed this book around. And in that moment, Tina, I'm, this light came down on me and onto the page. And it was my turn to read that you will know a piece that you only dream of. Hmm. And I started crying. I said, that's all I've ever been looking for. Wow. What have I been looking for? And in that moment, I just kind of like, you know, they say drop into your body. I just dropped into my seat and melted. And it was like, I'm home. I'm just home. You know, there's no more of inordinately because some of this ism creeps up on you on different times. But the huge need to look a certain way, be a certain way, thinking that I had fear that nobody else had. You know, I had this anxiety that nobody else had the similarities to me and this person next to me whether they were a celebrity person in the AA room or just someone who's from the mental hospital you know coming there to visit we're all the same all the same all we're looking for is peace that's it right and, and so you that it sounds like that spiritual awakening that moment mm -hmm. of being in that room and and dropping into your center dropping mm -hmm. into your seat was such an awakening which had to propel you on your path now. So all those things are kind of guiding you. I always say like the divine timing, right? So the work you do now, I mean, it gently, well, pushed or maybe shoved you <laughs> towards the direction of what you do now. And can you share with the listeners from that spiritual awakening, from that moment and continuing and staying sober for over 20 years. So congratulations. And I, I'm sure it's a work every day. So, well, what happened was that the, I'm going to say that as they say, the first five years, it takes you five years to find your marbles. And I used to hear that and I go, are you what? <laughs> you know, what do you mean? And yeah. So along the way, I learned how to speak my truth because we do something called qualify, getting in front of strangers and sharing your experience, strength, and hope. So being able to talk openly about my past, listening to others, hundreds and hundreds of men and women talk about their experiences, strength, and hope, again, from all different walks of life, from being in New York City, from super celebrities to everybody, from you know professionals to unemployed to housewives, all kinds of experiences, hearing all types of scenarios, all types of scenarios gave me such a richness of appreciation of being alive. I was guided to do the artist's way at one point. I think I was 39 or 35, I get sober. By 39, I do the artist's way book, which is morning pages and some other activities by Julia Cameron. And by doing this book, I found out that I, I discovered I wanted to study acting. So we're talking to a person who didn't speak in college or didn't speak in, in any of my schools practically, so I did speak in foreign languages class because I was really good at foreign languages. And there's something about connecting in a foreign language, but not English, which was easier for me. You know, so I studied Russian and Japanese and French wow. and back in the 70s. So I was guided to take acting. So at age 40, 
I started acting classes and I knew I was at the right acting studio because I saw a sign of my meditation teacher up on her wall, this guru that I had taken some meditation intensives with. It was a Siddha Yoga. And I went through the fear and literally body shaking and just huge anxiety of being in front of people and uttering words like, can I actually say words while I'm moving, you know, I'm doing this scene where I'm folding laundry. And I remember just shaking, but my spirit said, do this, do this. And I would get nauseous and sick before classes, but my spirit said, this, you gotta do this. So I found the right um, classmates who taught me about taking sea salt baths. Um, they were in Reiki. So I was really like slowly being with people that were into crystals and things, all for the healing of anxiety and stress while we opened up ourselves, right? right. So I do this and, you know, I watch myself in a camera class. I took an on-camera class and, and my teacher says to me, she's an angel. She says, you, you're going to make a lot of money doing this. And I just took that and ran with it, Tina. I got my headshots. Uh, I started booking a lot of work. And before you know it, I'm making a living as an actor. So wow. following the goal, the spirit prodding me to be fully self-expressed, fully, not just dancing and looking a certain way. It was a type of expression I didn't even know existed, right? Because I never really, I had had it in moments of performing as a dancer, but what would it be like to have it with your, your voice and vulnerability and connecting emotionally, not just looking a certain shape in the music, right? Yeah. So it sounds like you were always, it seems like you were always looking at the signs. You were just like you said, you mentioned the signs a few times and you said that the signs of your meditation teacher and then people were around you showing you different things and opening you up to, you know, sea salt baths and Reiki and crystals. And it was like spirit kept guiding you and saying, here you go, Barbara, we're going to, we're going to keep sending you along on this path. And we're going to bring people around you and put more people around you. And teachers to teach you lessons and and like you say your teacher being your angel so you were already open up to all these signs and totally. yeah and there's something that happened in the acting classes at one point I got very irritable and um I got into a, <laughs> a little altercation with one of my fellow students and I I left the studio and the, the teacher had said to me Barbara you're sending me a lot of hate energy and I'm thinking what what are you talking about she was helping me see that my thoughts were so powerful that she could feel me criticizing her, criticizing the other students. She could, she really trained me to see the impact of my thoughts. And today we're friends, you know, we're friends and everything. But self-expression, if you open yourself up to the guidance of your angels and guides, it's going to be uncomfortable sometimes. Sure. Transformation, but I am so trained to go through the eye of the needle now that I almost like now when I'm in a roller coaster of transformation, I'm kind of like this. Hang on. (laughs) So clear something good is at the end of this. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I can hang on and I just do the right things. Number one, I never drink or pick up. and, And that's huge not to modify your brain chemistry and stay, keep your mind clear is like 99.9% of the game. You know, yeah. oh, I love my chocolate or I love, you know, just chocolate is my next addiction, you know, but I don't go to alcohol, which 
really wreaked habit on my um, brain chemistry. And I'm so grateful that somebody found it out because Tina, if not depression and alcoholism is all over my family tree on the Japanese and the American side. And in combination with that is diabetes, heart disease. You, you know, you name all the other diseases because a person is not in touch with their body, right? And a lot of it happens from the first thing, which is our brain chemistry. Um, yeah. So today, when you, I know the work that you do today, and I know you do a lot of coaching. Do you, do you, do you work specifically if someone comes to you for, I mean, I'm sure there's different focus, but do you work with women and men and do you work with all areas or do you focus on addiction? So what are some of the coaching work that you do? And I know obviously you work beautifully with angels and mm-hmm. angel readings and spirit. And, and I know you're still acting, right? You're still doing some I, of the I do some acting jobs for years. I stay with the union though, kind of keeping it on hold. I feel like something else is going to happen. You know, so I stay, keep my union dues going. I do like one or two jobs a year, and I also um, use that as practicing. I like I get to work at the Tony Awards show, so I get to be on stage at radio. That's fun. <laughs> and then I also work for NBC at something called the Upfronts, when all the new shows are coming on. So I get to stand in for the person who's the head of NBC. So it's an incredible energy practice to read her speeches. But each time, it's a love-hate thing. But now I really see the love in it. If that makes any sense. You know, mm-hmm. it's not something I have to do all the time, but I take it on as a like a vision board when I'm mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a wonderful opportunity to, to visualize my own future. And I'm a great improviser of speeches from having been sober. It's like that came like that's channeling. I didn't know that I could channel. So when my customers, my clients come to me. I'm not so much going to tell them how to make a lot of money, a six-figure income, which there are a lot of coaches who do that. I tend to help people see the obstacles, the energy obstacles that are in their life. Mm. With the Me Too movement and the whole overall energy happening, I also healed a major onion peel of my own, having been sexually abused as like a toddler, which is, would be a whole other show. But the main thing is that I got very clear that I have been still wearing the shadow. And we talked about the shadow and the light. I didn't know that I was still operating in the bubble of, I'm in this bubble of having, that I'm different than others and wounded and fearful, not blatantly fearful, but I still wore it like a garment. In January, I actually had like a letting go of that. I actually experienced dying. I'm going to say, I felt like I was in an Egyptian coffin or something. I, and I let myself die because I'm not afraid to do go deep meditation. and do that type of work. And after that, I started getting clients, female clients who've been sexually abused. So Right, kind of like that. They always say that. I know Mm -hmm. that happens to me with Reiki and and intuitive readings. You know, you get matching pictures. So people will come to you that you're going through different... I totally uh, get that. I remember when I had three miscarriages and I wasn't doing this work then. And then I would see everybody with miscarriages or I see everybody trying to get pregnant. And it was, you know, it's always these matching pictures of things that we need to see or things that we need to relook at. Even if we're not going through that at the moment, we maybe had gone through it and now we have to relook at it again. Yeah. So I, what I'll do is I can see where their blocks, energy blocks are. And I have my own method of clearing it. I do use the cutting cords and the vacuuming with Archangel Michael. 
but I'm really moving into shamanism. I'm just like going with the wind because when my recently in the past year, one of my mentors took a shift in her direction and um, that was Doreen Virtue. And what I saw was that I was a little too dependent on her methods and spirit told me, fly with what you know how to do. And I love that. Some very deep healing with my uh, clients. My clients tend to be very accomplished women who just want to go to the next level. And they, they're authors, they're celebrities, they're people who just want to take their life to the next level. I work with people who are coachable. Yeah, basically, they're ready to go to the next level. They're ready to get married. They're ready to have kids. They're ready to find their husband. For the most part, I do one session, or sometimes four sessions with someone preparing now to create programs so I can guide them more through what they might need to do. But oftentimes, one session will have someone see um, where their blocks are. I don't give them a lot of answers. I help them find their own anchor. They have to be able to find their own connection to their own willpower, which is their like ignition. I really am not giving them too many tools because I think when they find what they need, it is so much more powerful that they own it than me telling them to try this, try that. And it sounds like you're empowering them. So you're giving them, you know, even though you may not give them specific tools, you're giving them the tools within so that they empower themselves to really live their most purposeful mm-hmm. and, and brightest and happiest life. Because, you know, I find that too in different ways. I get a lot of women too that are either in transition or, you know, I would say they're seeking their spirit. They're, they know they want to change. They're not sure what. And I love the work that you do and then incorporating mm-hmm. it with the angels and all the coaching work that you do. It's so beneficial, especially now to continue to have that empowerment and to let people know that there's so many possibilities and they can make these changes just like you did. And just like we're always in this evolving. I think that's the other part. It's like you and I, even though sometimes we stay on one side of the desk or one side of the massage table or whatever, that whatever, we are learning too. We are healing too. And so it's always in a state of healing. So I love that. Well, Barbara, where can people find you? Um, Let us know website information and I'll put everything in the show notes regarding your social media and things like that. So share with the listeners where they can connect with you. Yes. Well, um, my website is bcalvanocoaching.com. And I have a podcast on blog talk called Let's Ask the Angels on on most Saturdays, not every Saturday right now at 4 p.m. And it's available for downloads and then also on iTunes. And I'm going to be at the Awaken Fair, which is an event, a holistic event in Tarrytown, New York on April 22nd. Oh, great. That's a great one. And I'm going to be speaking about stepping into your power and when connecting with the angels to co-create an extraordinary life. And we're going to do some deep work about looking at courage Mm. accessing courage and also just distinguishing what we really want to create and having the courage to even tell the truth about that. So we're going to be doing that. And then when I work with angels, I'm not all fluffy. And some people think I, I'm even looking at the term angels anymore, Tina, because I'm really about people connecting to the divine energy that exists all around us. And then when I do a healing with them and help them access the 10 million angels that are surrounding them at any given moment, they experience a deep level of peace, much like Reiki. And that is one of the main things that I do with people is I help them connect to that spiritual awakening that I had in the chair because I was guided to teach 
And I know that accessing transformation is at a hyper speed right now, more than it's ever been on the planet. It's only a willingness that a person has to have it that they can experience it. It's not going to take 20 years like it took me. It is happening so quickly. And it's a beautiful thing. And my main job with my radio show and my public talks and anything I do is to let people know it is so, so quick right now. That's yeah. what that's what I'm about. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Well, thank you so much for all the work that you do for empowering women, empowering people and to uh, stand up and find courage. And so I will put all the information in the show notes. Thank you for sharing your light and shining your light and and for sharing with the listeners your story and how you really have come from trouble to triumph and now really paying it forward. So, you know, thank you for being the light worker that you are and sharing your light. Thank you, Tina. And thank you so much for your commitment for the world and everything that you do. Um, Really, it really makes a difference for me having you in my life. Oh, thank you. Yes, we have each other to really pull ourselves through together. So it's really nice to have that. Yes. Well, thank you so much. Have have a great day. Okay, we'll talk to you soon. Many blessings. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for tuning in. I never take it lightly that you tune in each and every week. And thank you so much for listening to this series, Trouble to Triumph. Now, as I close, I want to share with you, since we are talking about intuition, I want to share with you that I'm opening up some spots for my Intuitive Women Level 1 private coaching. This will be internet-based anywhere in the world. Feel free to contact me. This will be a four-week course, and we will be delving into intuition, developing intuition. The first week, we learn about intuition and introduction to the Clares. The second week, spiritual clearing and creating sacred space. The third week, you receive our virtual Reiki treatment, and we talk about the energy and the chakras. And week four is an introduction to Oracle cards. This is open right now, and I would love to share this course with you. As we move into the summer, sometimes we have a little bit more space in our schedule to do something for ourselves. So if you're interested, all the information will be in the show notes, and I would love to take you on and do one-on-one coaching to develop your intuition further. Well, thank you so much once again. Have a beautiful day. Namaste.